This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Poor a long time, uh, I uh, thought that uh, a military operation was not uh, feasible, it was not plausible. You know, I had uh, my own uh, cost-benefit analysis, and uh, even if you put aside all other considerations, uh, I thought that um, uh, to go into Ukraine is not in Russia's interest. But uh, apparently, you know, my cost-benefit analysis uh, did not coincide with uh, that in the Kremlin. Uh, uh, Dr. Andrei Kortinov, he's a Russian foreign policy advisor speaking to Sky News, talking about the operation where Russia goes into the Ukraine. We're on day eight, and uh, they're beginning to encircle two major cities. They took their first one yesterday, and people are wondering where this is going. Uh, Not many people in this world are for this. 141 countries at the United Nations yesterday voted against this. Uh, But still, Vladimir Putin continues to uh, uh, pound civilian targets and civilians and just try to wreck and raise a city. This does not surprise my next guest, Rick Prado. He spent 24 years in the CIA. He's author of a brand new book. He's featured on 60 Minute, uh, excuse me, on CBS this morning, uh, called Black Ops: The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. Rick, welcome. Great to meet you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And to meet thanks you. for everything you did to this country for this country. Thank you, Brian. Uh, there's a lot of Rick Prados in the agency. Trust me. Right um, <laughs> now, with your unique background, too, if you just want to lean a little bit closer to the microphone. You, you come. Uh, I'm going to just have you comment on this first. We're in a very unique situation in 2022. It's not 1935. That's correct. 1938. We can't believe that a country would invade another country for no reason. They actually said, I was watching Lavrov this morning, the foreign secretary, foreign minister. He said it's because the Nazi, uh, the Nazism in the Ukraine that has to be stopped by a Jewish by, president. By a Jewish president. Does anyone <laughs> believe that in Russia? Um, from what you know, I mean, in the, we know it's not true. Oh, uh, we know it's not true, and the, and the world knows it's not true, Brian. But the pro- the problem is, you know, the the that is the Russian ethos. That is their philosophy. Communism is a monster that only understands one thing: if there's weakness, I'm going to exploit it. And I I am actually surprised that we're surprised at times that they, he did this when he took over. When Putin took over, one of the first things he said was, "I will. I want to resuscitate." the greatness of the fatherland of, of, of the Soviet Union. That's a clue. And he said that from the very beginning. And he said in Munich in 2008 That's right. at a security conference. That's right. So he's, he's mentioned this several times in his, his life that, you know, this is his intent. Um, I think because they are a predator culture in this, in this case, at least the communists is, uh, are, they, they see an opportunity. They honestly believe that they thought that they could get away with it. And I'm very glad to see – that it's not just the United States trying to take a stance, but I, th- I see a little bit more global responsibility um, backing backing the the, uh, the, the Ukrainians. So, and it was something about Zelensky's remarks that mobilized Europe. Yes, he said, "I might not. This might be the last time you see me." Yeah. And he's not kidding. They put at least two kill squads yeah, into yeah. Uh, right. into the into into Kiev to go mm-hmm. get him, and they got annihilated too. Yeah. Right, and mm-hmm. they did. 
Because we were report is that we gave the intelligence over. Yes. You think that's most likely? That's, well, that is going to be one of our biggest roles there. I mean, uh, if from past incarnations, I know that in cases like this, if we see it coming even a year before, we spend a lot of time bustering up their military capabilities in training. And same thing with intel collections training and, 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 and getting to work with our uh, intelligence mechanisms so we can pass them things that we get through sensitive sources. Uh, so I, I am definitely uh, sure that we are helping them with exactly that kind of uh, operations. So, yeah, I played Secretary of Defense Austin saying we're not going to we're not going to be on the ground there. You heard Joe Lieberman at the top of the hour. He, he was a former uh, senator from Connecticut who did a lot of work with John McCain and Lindsey Graham traveling the country to the worst possible war zones you can imagine. Not as bad as you, uh, but he did it as a del- as a as a senator. And he said, I would put somebody in on the ground there. We could put special forces in on the ground to start and aid, uh, even if it's uh, using some type of uh, some type of um, uh, some type of weaponry that could take out uh, airplanes and stop right. the air attack. Yeah, you know, and that is a, that is a political decision uh, above my, my pay grade kind of thing. Obviously, there's always the risk of having an American captured out there or whatever. Which happened to you when you were on a mission with the Contras in yes. Nicaragua. Very close to it. Yeah, I almost got picked up. But someone did and blew the whole mission. Absolutely. You know, so it, it's, uh, it, is, it is incumbent of us to provide the Ukrainians with every single thing that we can. And if that means putting some of our special operations forces in, in a uh, – not in the pointy end of the combat or you know, doing house to house – but helping them with some of the more sophisticated, like lasing targets so jets could actually be able to hit something, you know, that kind of stuff. My hope was, Rick, that someone inside Russia is going to take them out. Uh, they're going to say the, the oligarchs, the ones with the money and the power, they're getting their yachts, their planes, their money is being frozen. This, the, their toys are being taken away. They're going to say this guy's more uh, – he's doing more harm than good. And this foreign policy advisor I thought would maybe reflecting what other people feel, Dr. Andrei Kort- Kortinov. And here's what else he told Sky News, cut 10. I'm trying to keep going. I'm trying to uh, continue doing what I'm doing. But of course, I'm depressed. You know, all of us are depressed. And uh, I think that uh, it's, it's very embarrassing for all of us, not only because we turned out to be wrong, but uh, also because, of course, you know, Russia... And all Russians will be in a difficult position. So it's what he said and the fact he's saying it. What does it say to you? There's some cracks in the Putin foundation? You know, I think that that is the biggest uh, surprise here. Uh, You know, like, you know, we had Stalin and Khrushchev and and all these animals before. But this is the first time that Russia also has this powerful underworld of these oligarchs who are people that are multi-billionaires. And a lot of them come from the former regime. So they know the game. Uh, so he's got to be yes, yes, yeah. He, they they have to be careful. He's I mean, Putin's got to be careful because these people will have the the clout and the financial support to to, to yank him out. Uh, a little bit about your background. No one has to explain communism to you. Your family was in Cuba during the transformation when Fidel Castro came in and forced uh, all those. Uh, I guess Somoza was there. Castro comes in. What did how did it affect your family? Well, you know, um, um, I lived in a small town uh, in the bottom of the Escambay Mountains where Che Guevara was, was at. So my town got hit two or three times when I was – first firefight I ever saw, I was seven years old, right in front of my window, people getting, getting shot. 
So, but and that wasn't traumatic. That was just curious. But when you see a, a, a country within six months make a complete U-turn, all the businesses being confiscated, kids having to wear military uniforms to go to school, and the abuses that immediately started, the persecution, uh, you don't forget that as a kid. And my, my father, who had a seventh grade education and never read Marx or Lenin, but he had a heart of a lion, he said, I'm, I'm an only child, by the way, he says, I am not going to have my son grow up in a communist country. So he says, we're leaving. Well, they wouldn't let him go. We had the, the ability to come to the United States, but they were not getting the exit permit. So my dad somehow managed it. There's a program called the Peter Pan program that was bringing out kids, and that's what I was in. So it, I turned 11 at the orphanage. Um, and, and going from seeing that disaster to coming to this country where everything is proper and people took us in with, with open arms, you know, that, that was the seed that was planted that not only am I going to fight communism and all the isms, but I owe this country a debt of honor. And they, you felt like you owe the country sitting in an orphanage, not the best situation. There's some clashes there. There's some challenges, right? You didn't know if you were ever going to see your family again, number two. Number three, you were, you were tagged to maybe go to the Soviet Union, right? Yeah. Uh, I, my uncle was uh, – my, 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 uh, my, my uncle on my mom's side was a school teacher, a professor at the school that I was at. And he was a socialist. He was actually a you know a left leaning kind of individual, uh, and he but you know blood is thicker than water. And he called my dad and says, "Your son's name is on a list to be proposed to be sent to to Russia to." Because you were a smart kid, I guess. I you know. And they said, "Let's go train him with the Soviet Union." That's right. And that's when your dad said, "That's it." That was it. Wow. Uh, and you think about how different your life is. But once you get here, it wasn't easy, right? Well, you know, it wasn't. Your dad never took one dollar from welfare. My dad wor- worked two jobs for as long as I, as I can remember. My mom worked in a sweatshop for well over a decade. Uh, we were way be- below the poverty line when we moved into this country. But we had hope. We had security. And we knew that if my dad made 15 cents, nobody was going to take it away from him. And you were delivering papers? I was delivering papers. Yeah. Right. So you do whatever you can. When you had, when you came from where you came and you come here, you appreciate it. No one has to tell you to appreciate it. Are you amazed that people don't seem to appreciate this country right now? I am not only amazed, but it's hurtful for me because, and, and, and you know, the Brian, I think the problem is that we don't know how good we have it. Of course. You know, even Americans who have traveled overseas, I had a conversation with somebody who says, well, I've been to Mexico. I said, no, you've been to Cancun on a cruise. That's not the same. If you live in a, in a third world country or even some of the other first world countries and you come to this country, you see the difference in the efficiencies and everything else. But primarily is the freedom. You know, the, the, the antagonist to communism is freedom. And that's what the people of Ukraine want. They know they don't have the perfect system, but they want the freedom to screw it up or make it better. Make it theirs. Yeah. And I think that in some small way, it's making us evaluate this self, self-flagellation that we've been going through. Now, wait a second. They're fighting for what we have and are taking for granted. Exactly. You know, and, and you know, the, the other thing is the Soviets say, well, you know, the, the Ukrainians are a threat because they're getting closer to the West. Ukrainians could say the same thing. The Russians are on our, on our, on our east side and they want our territory. 
There's no question about that. Of course, that. They, they fear the democracy. They exactly. don't fear the country. Exactly. They right. don't want that, that, that creeping into their culture. And some people going like, wait a minute, it's working over there. Mm-hmm. Why am I in a poverty line over here? And then you fought, went and spent the next two, two decades of your professional life fighting for the country in ways that you first time you're saying and talking about in your book. First off, before we go to break and get some details, um, why did you – how did the CIA find you or how did you find the CIA? Um, I when when I was uh, uh, in first first year of college, I had uh, an event that kind of uh, woke me up, and um, understanding that I had to have a purpose to my energy and to my aggressiveness and and to uh, my intellect, for, for lack of a better word. So I joined uh, Air Force Pararescue, which is one of our elite special operations forces in, in the United States, uh, because I wanted to go to Vietnam. I, I, I that's when I really started feeling that urge. Of, of I need to pay back to this country what it did for my mom and my dad because as hard as it was on me, it was nothing compared to what it you, did to You guys were doing good in Cuba, right? You, were- you know, when, when Castro took over in 59, my dad had a 57 Pontiac and we had a TV and a telephone in our house. That's middle-class America. Yep. And then he took it all away. Everything and he took good. it away from everybody and then at least you escaped with your life. When we come back, um, what Rick did and what he served and why he left. Uh, it's all in his uh, brand new book, Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. Uh, he has uh, everything in perspective. Hopefully you do, too. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Over the last couple of years, Putin has been more and more isolated. He's not been in the Kremlin for the most part. I don't think he's he's a rational actor because he's fearful. He doesn't look very powerful. And this is going to jeopardize his ability to stay in power. That word rational actor is a very elastic, right? He's out at his compound, doesn't come into town very much. And under COVID, he's been more isolated. He's increasingly unhinged in the way that he talks about the regime. Well, I met with him many times. Uh, and uh, this is a different Putin. He seems uh, erratic. There is uh, an ever-deepening delusional rendering of history. He's descending into something that I personally haven't seen before. So you heard uh, former Ambassador Russia Speaks Russian, uh, McFaul. You heard Condoleezza Rice last and um, uh, General McMaster in between. My guest is Rick Prado, a 24-year veteran the CIA, whose new book is doing great. It's called Black Ops, uh, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. Uh, Rick, I just want there's a lot of people who feel he's not the same guy. I'm wondering what Rick Prado feels. Well, you know, I think that he is uh, the, the same guy from day one since he called it that he was going to rebuild the Soviet Union. But uh, I think that what he's giving extra pressures now is the fact that he's failing at what he was trying to do. You know, he thought that this was going to be a cakewalk. Uh, he figured in three, in three days he would have taken over the Ukraine. Um, now he's under pressure to deliver something that he may not be able to deliver. Um, oh, you um, – um is too loud? The no, it was breaking in and out. Oh, okay. Um, it's clear now. Gotcha. So looking now at the Vladimir Putin you have, I think he's finding out his military, as much as they are ruthless, I think he's finding out his military is not nearly as good as he thought. No, they're, they're, they're first of all, they're not. Uh, second, the Ukrainian resistance has been something for the textbooks. But you know, at the same time, there's a saying that 
amateurs practice tactics, and experts practice logistics. When I saw that convoy stranded out there still for there. as long and it's still, still there, those guys are out of fuel. They're out of food. Supposedly they came in with like three or four days worth of food, and he's got no way of resupplying them yet because he's, he's losing his resources. Let's talk about the CIA. What, what kind of shape was the agency in when you left? Well, you know, like everything else, the, the, the agency, unfortunately, has – like the FBI has become a little too politicized even though that's against our ethos. First thing they teach us is we don't do politics. We don't do policy. We, we do intel collection and covert action. That's what the agency is supposed to do. But uh, so we, we have – we ebb and flow with, with whoever is, is, is our leadership um, and because they put in, in those positions the individuals that match mm-hmm. what, what they want to do. What, what I always find hope in the agency is the quality of people that we have. And, and, and that was the impetus for me writing the book. I got so tired of reading in the paper, you know, about you know, in the movies, Jason Bourne, American Made, all these stupid allegations of us selling drugs in, in, uh, in California and, and all this kind of – and, you know, Brian, we have 137 stars on our wall. I've seen it. And, and it's a smaller – you know, this is not like big army. I mean we're talking a very relatively small operational component and we have 137 stars. And not only that, a third of those are post-9-11 and many of those I knew personally. So for me, it's an affront that those individuals that we sent into harm's way and gave their life for this country are compared to – you know, Jason Bourne and, and maniacal assassins and, and this kind of stuff. Right. Uh, what about uh, the, you mean when you say political and you see a guy like Brennan? Yeah, John, John Brennan was uh, very detrimental to the agency uh, because he became more political than any other DCI we've ever had. And you can't afford that. We, we should not. You know, one of the things when you see the State of the Union, the military sits in the middle. They don't applaud. They don't nod. They don't shake their heads. They're just there. That should be our posture. We need to be remain apolitical. We cannot be showing a, a preference to one right, left, or whatever. Do you think we're depending? You're depending too much on drones. A- absolutely. I mean, you know, the uh, the the, uh, the for me is such a hypocritical stance. You know, you will not allow us to go in there and take out Hitler in 1939 or Osama bin Laden in 1995. But you will send a drone into a in a, in a place to kill two terrorists, and you'll have fifteen collateral damages, and you have no collection. You don't go to be able to exploit the computers or the phones yeah, or anything. And, and when we do that constantly, it's like, oh wow, we got a boo a boo, whatever. But if you propose the other, you're insane. Yeah, uh, and Rick is not. His book is fantastic, called Black Ops: The Life of CIA Shadow Warrior. Rick, thanks so much, and I'll talk to you on TV. Thank you very much. All right, I look go, forward to it. Go pick up his book. Listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.